Hey, this is Richard. And this is Eric. And you're listening to the Coral Contrarians podcast. Eric. Yes. Hey. Hey. Um, welcome. Welcome to this moment in time. It's a moment like no other. Yeah, that's true. It is uh, the most recent moment that I can think of. That you can remember. <laughs> yeah, that I can remember. It's a moment like has never been yeah. before. No, all of history has led us to this moment this very moment yeah it's going to be a special moment i i can already tell yeah and i know that if you're listening to this the moment has passed and you mm-hmm. can celebrate it yeah from from near and far and we appreciate you celebrating mm-hmm. this this moment in time totally um and today what we want to talk about is something that we have sort of skirted around a number mm-hmm. of times and I, I just want to drill down into it and maybe define some just sort of define an idea for us mm-hmm. and maybe it's undefinable which it, that might be the case but we've talked a number of times about the term transcendence or transcendent and we've used that term Mm-hmm. in association with sort of goals, uh, sort of the the goal of, you know, we could expand it to say all of art, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you agree with that potentially that it could, that is a goal of art itself? I think that it, um, I think one could say it, it is a goal of, a lot of art that it maybe should be a goal of art or that um, art that uh, maybe falls short or art that um, requires more careful thought may be due to a lack of the consideration of the transcendent. You know what I mean by that? Like I say, do. That I do. which some might call art falls short because it does not uh, reach that or because the goal itself fails to keep that in mind. Now, I don't want to rabbit trail off immediately in the conversation, but <laughs> but it's I, this is why it's so important maybe to define transcendence because what 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 you just said, Richard, makes me think of, let's say painting or something. Let's say you mm-hmm. go to a museum and a painting makes you angry. okay? Yes, okay. Potentially, that's potentially what the artist was trying to do and he did it in such a way that achieved transcendence of that particular emotion potentially Mm -hmm. but then again maybe that's not what we're talking about when we define transcendence it is transcendence inherently good 
or is transcendence just by its very definition something other than what we're thinking about when we talk about it. So um, so we wanted to find transcendence because I do think that in many ways that is sort of the goal of choir music or singing in a choir would be achieving transcendence. And I don't mean the Johnny Depp movie, <laughs> you know, where, <laughs> where uh-huh. he became like an AI brain or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I think that's I think that's right. That, that movie. <laughs> it was called Willy Wonka. Right. No, no. Um, no. He that was transcendent though. That movie. Not that one, the original one with The original what's his one name? is fantastic with, with uh, what's his name? Gene Wilder. Gene, Gene Wilder, Wilder may be the most transcendent hair of all time. It's up there. If you remember Gene Wilder's hair, you will remember it being transcendent. Okay? <laughs> Let's define transcendence so that we know not only what Gene Wilder's hair was like, but also what we're talking about. So I'm just going to say what the the dictionary says. Okay. Let's start there. Okay. Let's start there. So there's a number of um, definitions. One, this is from Merriam-Webster, by the mm. way. Yeah. One is exceeding usual limits or surpassing. Okay. Extending or lying beyond the limits of ordinary experience. Okay. Okay. And and um, you love this in Kantian philosophy. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> being beyond the limits of all possible experience and knowledge. Hmm. Actually, I I do like that one to be honest. Okay. The second definition is. Being beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. And then another one we could think is of is universally applicable or significant. And I want to remove that because that might be a definition, but it's not the one we're talking about. So I think the two that I want to hone in on and see if it's where we want to go is being beyond the limits of all possible experience and knowledge, even though, ironically, we're talking about something that is possible to experience. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to experience something that is impossible to know? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's sort of where where I want to go. And then the the second one that I want to hone in on is being beyond comprehension. Um. Uh, again, I, I think exceeding usual limits could could work or exceeding or lying beyond the limits of ordinary experience. But I like these other ones because it gets to something deeper mm-hmm. or farther away that you can only access through some sort of sort of ethereal means or some means that in some ways you give yourself over to you cannot control it Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm trying to say so let's start there let's start with some of these any thoughts yeah so it is important to define these terms because i think that in a very basic level as you pointed out the idea of the transcendence is simply something beyond that which we normally experience does um capture really any performance or or singing or whatever yeah. right yeah. because it is yeah. we don't walk around kind of doing that um the 
you know, uh, the 1950s golden age musical movies um, where someone would step out and suddenly a song happens. I mean, in a way, that's uh, sort of a comical version of transcendence in, in that definition. Um, the second and third definitions that you mentioned, the Kantian definition and um, then the definition focusing on comprehension, I think are more of uh, where we're wanting to go. I think that my problem with the Kantian definition here um, is, well, or at least the, the limitation of that, right, is that not only is it uh, unknowable, but it's possibly unexpected experiential if that is is that a word uh, no but, no richard it's know. experienceable there <laughs> thank you very much yeah thank you <laughs> no i i, I know non-unexperienceable so no so but I that's think, what i was trying to get to richard is that right. is it possible let's just talk about that one mm-hmm. aspect yes is it possible that there's an irony at play here where mm-hmm. it is it possible we've talked about these kinds of things before where Mm-hmm. What if something is not experien- ex- <laughs> experiential, <laughs> but be- that's what makes it because, but then it is. So that's really interesting, right? And I, my question would be, is the experience, is the transcendent experience, right? Because like if you, if you can't experience it, then you would never know. Like you, you know that it's something that you can't know. And could you know that you can't know it but still experience it? Or is that feeling of transcendence, the feeling of being, you know, of really staring into the abyss in a weird way and, and sensing the depth of the thing and not being able to necessarily comprehend it? I mean, I think this is one, um, if, you're, if one is not careful, then one definition makes transcendence almost... Um, on like so so far removed from any perception that the idea that we could have a transcendent experience while listening to music um, becomes almost impossible. It becomes like almost almost platonic, right? Like you can sort sure. of yeah. envision it, but you'll never you'll always be tied to the cave, you know, looking at the shadows and all of that. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if that's where. Uh, if that's where Kant necessarily means to go. Um, and I wonder if that's where, where we want to go, right? So are you, like, where do you fall on this? And, and what does this help us to understand about our own relationship with the transcendent? Right, I think we need to, we need to bring it back. I mean, the, the problem with talking about this is just that in just inherently talking about it, or just, just the part of talking about it, um, makes it non uh practical you know Mm -hmm. but i i think at some point i want to tell just a couple maybe we can come up with a couple stories and then maybe make sense of it through the reality of events yeah but before we do it where i stand on this is that i do believe that transcendent is impossible to create Mm -hmm. okay so that in and of itself means something to me, mm-hmm. that if you can't create it, that means that there's no path to it. So at least we don't, whether we know it or recognize it, we don't recognize the path to attain it. I mean, we can't know a way 
to it. We can know a vehicle to use to access it, but we don't can't manufacture it ourselves. We can manipulate events, I think, mm-hmm. to sort of put us in a in a chance, a greater chance to achieve it. Let's say, let bring. Okay, here's practicality. You could sing. Let's you know everybody's done this probably that's listening to this if you sung in a choir before you've sung in a ballroom with no acoustic to help mm-hmm. and you've sung in an, an amazing cathedral the mm-hmm. same piece you're giving yourself a greater chance to achieve transcendence singing in a space that affords greater acoustics and sort of just flat out beauty than a, a ballroom with a terrible red carpet, you know, and just a brutal acoustic that is not helping you at all. So what does that say to me? I mean, that says, sir, you can't, but you can't guarantee that you're going to achieve transcendence in the, in the cathedral setting. Mm-hmm. But it also is probably minusculely possible to achieve transcendence in the ballroom, the carpeted ballroom, but you have a greater chance. So I'm saying I think you can manipulate events, but mm. you can't just flat out manufacture. Because if we could, we would just live there all the time. I mean, why would you ever not want to be in transcend that transcendent feeling and emotion and moment? Um, so that's one aspect. Second, I think that transcendence is also always there, like a just a veil away mm-hmm. like I don't think that it's far I think that it's literally right next to you all the time um, and how that partners with my first thought um, is that you can slip into it and slip out of it. It, it that's what it feels like to me is that it, you can it's just it, almost like this is dimensional and I and for those of you that don't know I'm I again I think Richard and I both have sort of intense spiritual lives and this there's an aspect to this that is quite spiritual to me in a way that the veil between natural and supernatural exists to me it's the same way that the concepts of uh, natural and transcendent for instance that that it's mm-hmm. something that you can just slip into but it's right there it's just it's available mm-hmm. but you can't make yourself go there you can't force it but it's also there and available at all times even in a rehearsal and probably everybody that's listening right now was surprised at some moment in their life by transcendence perhaps mm-hmm. maybe not but i'm guessing that's possible yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, um, and then to go back to the beginning of, of your statement about the cathedral versus the ballroom, and um, the idea that we, you know, if we could find transcendence, we would, you know, if we could live in a state, like, why would we choose the alternative, you know, or, or why does it seem that that's the case? Um, so two things here. One is, I, I do wonder... It, if we compare the uh, you know the dry ballroom to the um, to the cathedral acoustic, if really what we're saying is one space allows us the opportunity to slip into the transcendent, um, you know more, I don't know not more easily, but it's a, but there's something evocative about the acoustic 
of the cathedral in a way that, like, I, I actually do wonder or question what the um, what the universality of that of that would be. Like, do we perceive the wet acoustic of the cathedral, or even it's used like an audio processing? People, you know, you can kind of turn it on. You know, you yeah, can add reverb, right. and it we use it as a shorthand. You know, in a way, or, or like in movie soundtracks, when you when you get that sound, or you hear the organ, you know, or you hear, then you know something is going to happen. That um, I mean, I think of like a horror film. You know, like that you hear the choir, you hear an organ. That to the listener, whether they know it or not, that shorthand for oh no, there's going to be some kind of crossing of you know the the natural and the supernatural right. here right? right and so when we listen to the cathedral acoustic i do wonder how much of that is the intrinsic beauty of the cathedral acoustic or is there something about it that we that we you know don't understand but that we respond to um, just you know intrinsically or is there not is it because we are reminded of extra musical things in that moment I also think that you know one could this is the surprising sometimes we're surprised by the transcendent moment right mm. and um, you know like uh, I don't know uh, you know if you're in that ballroom or you're in, you're in a uh, you know some space and suddenly you're reminded of something or you know there there might be an extra musical pull uh, into that that feeling of transcendence um, that that is possible even even in that space. Maybe it's not as easy, or maybe it's a different thing, or maybe maybe it really does have to do with our past experience in a in a weird way. But to the the second point that you brought up about the um, uh, you know the the living in the transcendent versus not. I mean, that's really I I almost wonder if actually a lot of experience that uh, people put themselves through or things that we intentionally try to do um, are a way of of fooling ourselves into uh, the transcendent without actually it's experiencing transcendence does that make make sense so like really in a in a situation where we can load up audacity and and knock out the reverb and all of this you know that there that is a false move towards a a, a a reality of, of transcendent sound. And, um, you know, how, how much uh, experience when it's emotionalized, you know, or when, when we're trying to drive people into that moment is really like kind of a cheap imitation mm. of the transcendent. Um, that's where, when you said you can't manipulate one into, into getting there, I would say, I think you're right. But I also think that's not stopping people from trying. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, um, I think I don't. But I, I, I think you can manipulate events to make it more likely, and maybe mm-hmm. that's what people do. Or, but, but you're whole, you're totally right, and I'm sure many listeners could probably think of ways where people have faked it mm-hmm. or pretended that it existed somehow, or have learned that. X experience sort of mm-hmm. mimics or mirrors real transcendence. It's just mm-hmm. like you said. I mean, I loved what you said about shorthand, that we're shorthanding these places. Why? Why do we like that sound better? Or why mm-hmm. do we like... I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like uh, places with zero reverb or like are being performed outside or winning Grammys, you know, like. 
you, with, you know, with some yeah. rare, weird wind in the background. So. <laughs> you heard it here. This is the next uh, level for choral music. No, I um, – this is a really interesting thing. So I I have this idea actually that a lot of shorthand that that we have been experiencing in the last say, you know, 20 years of choral music is really a way of emulating uh, the transcendence of say a say a cathedral space. So I when I talk to my students about um, what I would call sort of the um, the kind of uh, a, a, American um, sort of non-sacred sacred style, right? Um, where you get the emulation of the cathedral acoustic by simply holding notes through other notes. Like so if you're performing live in a cathedral uh, and you sing a scale, well, the notes that you sang before that are heard in simultaneity with the notes that follow. So, Composers of the Renaissance uh, and you know the Middle Ages, and when they're writing sacred music for these spaces, they exploit this. They understand that you're not just getting the major triad or you know an open fifth or something. You're getting that plus all of the stuff that happened ten seconds before. So they have to write with that in mind. Well, what if you're practicing in a school all day and you don't have access to that? One way to make that happen is to simply sustain notes like beyond, right, the point where they're actually necessary, and then to build up chords in, in that way. It's a way of recreating cathedral acoustic without the need for a cathedral. Um, and I think that it speaks to something that is missing, right, in, in uh, so much of this music, which is, or, or maybe in the lives of those who are, who are singing it. Um, which is the the need to experience transcendence, the need almost even to experience transcendent space, but they're in the grocery store, right? Or they're in their they're in their gym, and how do you how do you get there? Or they're on their their earphones, and outside of um, you know that that private listening space is just is just the world. But inside, if you can recreate the cathedral in your mind, then you know you become the cathedral. I think that's an issue um, with regard to really being open to transcendence. But I, but I kind of get metaphysically where it comes from, right? Does that make sense? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Everything that I'm saying is barely making sense too. <laughs> As we, <laughs> because this is unknowable. It's like I'm, maybe the title of this should be Unattainable Attainable the mm-hmm. the unattainably attainable transcendence. So, but what is another defining feature? I have a few thoughts in my mind that a definable feature is it is it possible? It could be that um, that in the same experience, one person could be experiencing it while another mm-hmm. person next to them is not. I mean, is that that's another yeah. definable feature to this that it is personal, imminently mm-hmm. personal and contextual and referential, so that every person has a context and reference to it, whereas the next person has a completely, even though the same exact experience, musical experience is happening, one person has it, one person doesn't. Yeah, I think so, because I think it's a dance in a way, right? 
Um, and, you know, the idea that it's that it's open to manipulation on either side is the false um, the false idea here, right? Like the idea that you could force that or that you could manipulate events in such a way that everyone would, you know, would experience the transcendent musical moment is um, is not right. It really it really does take um, it really does take both of those sides. And yeah, I totally think you could be sitting in the audience and one person would would you know clearly perceive that and and someone else wouldn't. Absolutely, I think that's the that's the nature of it. For sure, and it should be the nature of it. You know, like where um, the uh, I think some people might you know feel sort of guilted into transcendence, and that's not a, mm. <laughs> that's no, not yeah, where yeah. where you want to go with that. Exp- when we're shaping experiences for our for our singers or you know artistic experiences and things, um, we we have to appreciate just the the complexity of it in that way. For sure, I can imagine like three people sitting next to each other at a concert and one mm. the the choir or, or orchestra or whatever is playing and singing and one person has just like got huge crocodile tears and they're totally mm. in the experience and that they're ach- essentially experiencing transcendence they're being lost right. in, they have slipped into it um and then you have a nu- the next person who like got a flat tire on the way to the the program they're having a terrible day and it's like they've created a resistance to it Mm -hmm. in their mind or in their spirit where they're disallowing the opportunity but then you could have somebody that has also had a bad day and it's almost like they trip into into Mm -hmm. transcendence and this is what i think we're saying about being surprised by it i think some people just either sort of trip into it like they've or they, yeah, I think that's a great word, tripping into it, where they're stumbling into it. Mm-hmm. They weren't ready for it, or they're, they're being, their thoughts are over here, and then they, they, they either sing or hear or whatever, or look at a painting or something like that. Or th- mm-hmm. And then they're just surprised. They're like, whoa, I'm in another space. And then I think when you awaken to that reality, it's possible that you would then sort of fall back out of the Mm -hmm. experience um you know what this makes me think of let me let me throw this out i recently read uh lewis's the magician's nephew and Mm -hmm. you know uh, if you're unfamiliar with what i'm about to talk about uh i really recommend it i i think this is the best of the chronicles of narnia is the magician's nephew i it's my favorite but the way Narnia works is that there is a middle green space with a bunch of pools, and the different pools in that space are um, the different worlds, and Narnia is one of them. Our world is one of them, and they're accessible through by these pools in this beautiful sort of multiverse middle ground or whatever. And... Um, and these pools, if you didn't have these particular rings, and by the way, if you're unfamiliar, the rings were planted and they grew a tree and they cut the tree down and made the wardrobe 
that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is all about. It was made from this material where you could transverse all these dimensions, essentially, these different worlds. And it makes me think of how we access and unaccess uh, the transcendent. When, when you would jump in one of these pools expecting to go, to go down to the world and you didn't have one of these rings, it would just be like jumping in a pool and you'd be up to your ankles. There would be nothing there. But if you had access, you, ha- you were holding on to a particular ring, the pool would become essentially a wormhole into this world. So you would just get wet if you didn't have this access. So I mean, I'm saying what it makes me think of is how we, the, uh, the concept of allowing ourselves the opportunity to experience transcendence as well mm-hmm. through through either and we could say that the ring would be the ring to access transcend the transcendent world or whatever would be i don't know attitude willingness desire mm-hmm. because i think about these three people one is just fully willing and they're jumping into this pool of music and and art with expectancy and they, they go there. They, they mm-hmm. enter into transcendence. They've allowed themselves. Where this other person is just here at this concert, and they've, uh, like I said, had a bad day or something. And so they're not going to allow this, no matter how good the music is. And good is, I guess, negotiable, what that word means. But mm-hmm. um, they just aren't going to do it. They're not going to allow it. And unfortunately, by the way, uh, a lot of our choirs... I have a real problem with this the students because everybody's jaded they're mm-hmm. and they're becoming more jaded so they're becoming less al- they're allowing less of the just allowing it mm-hmm. so i'm really worried about that on the, on the on a side note and then thirdly it would be uh this person that sort of trips into it it would be somebody that isn't really thinking about this moment of jumping into the pool and then they sort of trip into the pool and that suddenly they're experiencing this wonderful transcendence. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a, I don't know. I like this metaphor. So I don't know. And I also like the metaphor that the transcendent is something other than what we're capable of in either creating or imminently experiencing on a daily basis. So it does capture in some of the original in the original uh, definitions. But, I mean, any thoughts arising as we're talking about that aspect? Yeah. I mean, as, as I think about all of this and, and think about, you know, transcendence, what it means, what, you know, how do we know when we're experiencing that? I think when you stop and try to think then, in terms of what you know, what we go through when we're um, when we're thinking about uh, music or or creating musical experiences, um, what our singers might experience, what we personally have experienced, um, the the metaphors are are interesting, um, you know. But how do you how do you know how do you know what you can't know? What are we? What are we after here? Like, right. what is that transcendent moment or that transcendent experience? How is it different from just something that's 
beautiful? Or how is our most transcendent experience different from our most, you know, uh, our best accomplishment or or the the you know most pristine, say, concert event or something mm. like that? Mm-hmm. What's like what does that exchange look like? I don't know. So let's talk about maybe some stories, uh, and maybe ground it in our reality. Here's mm-hmm. one that I thought of. Uh, where I didn't achieve transcendence, but I'm certain that other people did. And it was when Robert Shaw conducted his last, the last time I think he conducted the War Requiem Mm -hmm. in Minneapolis at a convention of some Mm -hmm. kind. And I remember having conversations with people that were also there because it was completely full, thousands of people that had absolutely 100% transcendent experiences at that thing. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you why I didn't. Um, I was uh, sitting in the front, stage right, very close mm-hmm. to the front, very close to the tam-tam. <laughs> oh, well, that's the best seat. Pay extra for that, no doubt. And I thought, okay, and I don't, I, I'm going to be honest, I don't love that piece. I know mm-hmm. I understand why people do. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I hilar- hilariously called it the most overrated piece of all time numerous times in my mm-hmm. doctoral <laughs> degree and got ripped for it. Wow. But, but I, it's just an example of I know that people, but the context mattered for me on two levels. One, where, like literally physically where I was in the room. Mm-hmm. Like if I were sitting just on the maybe balcony one in the center, I mm-hmm. might have had a different experience. And two, not quite understanding the moment and the music that was being performed. I so mm-hmm. I there. What I'm discovering, even as I say this, is that there are aspects to transcendence that is not just purely the art there's other things at play mm-hmm. okay that's my first story of not but tell us anything any story to ground us either receiving it or not yeah um well i think i've had transcendent experiences um as an audience member uh we had a, a beautiful um performance here in uh, at UMD uh, with with Chanticleer a couple of years ago they came in to to do a concert um, and we brought them in for master classes with the students and and uh, you know that it's a great choir that I've heard many times um, this program was really was really fantastic it was a there it was a Christmas concert um, and it was you know, uh, it was um, there was something about uh, the the moment and something about the room and something about just you know for me I mean it's the end of the semester you're tired you know all of this stuff and you sit down you get to enjoy something that really uh, was so beautifully put together and I I thought the program was sort of brave because it was a lot of um, because it it was. Uh, there, there wasn't, um, you know, 
a piece programmed to re- to get people, you know, to to sort of cry and all of that stuff. It was it was everything taken together, right? Um, that made it really a what I thought was just a a perfect little program. Um, it was really something. And you know, I like polyphony. I like uh, those styles. There was there was you know it was beautifully sung just to hear those voices. Um, and I don't know why. I I remember talking to my wife and saying I, I'm not even sure why I just was in this sort of state of almost, you know, sort of crying the whole time because it just there was something about it that um, that just really uh, was speaking to me in that moment. And, and you know, I, I've heard beautiful concerts. I've, you know, been in the audience for for really wonderful things and and when you get that feeling um it is uh it is a combination of things you are involved in a way as as you mentioned but also when you talked about tripping into something i think that that element of surprise is also um a part of it for me that you don't you don't expect it you might expect it to be beautiful or or good or or whatever but when you cross over into that that appreciation of the thing it always catches me off guard because and maybe as a musician you know you're hearing music all the time so you're you're listening to it in a different way perhaps but um that that is the thing that caught me it just when the singing started they processed in you know singing a, a chant and then it just it just caught me in that moment and and there I was, you know, um, and I and I remember that just really feeling surprised at the moment, like, oh, here we go, you know, mm. this is uh, this is a moment like that for me. It's a beautiful concert, but it's so hard to put your your finger on, you know, exactly what it is. Well, a physical aspect to what you said was that there was tears, and I, I think I, you know, when I think about transcendence, that comes to mind, mm-hmm. uh, just that physical thing. But I, before I tell another quick story about this uh there i want to actually ask something to further define this which is let's say the story about let's say rite of spring where it started a riot okay Mm -hmm. can we is that possibly transcendence or is do you know what i'm saying by that is it is it yeah. in under the cloud of possibility of transcendence, or is transcendence a feature of sort of that weepy other feeling that I know everybody listening knows that feeling of weeping, like you're there's a spirit <laughs> in the air and you cannot help but weep, sort of like um, the ecstasy of Saint Teresa, the the. Uh, the famous sculpture mm-hmm. where the angel is stabbing the spear of, you know, and, and it, mm-hmm. I know that feeling that, that to me essentially is a picture of transcendence in a way, mm-hmm. um, that sculpture, which is, um, there's, I mean, there's an aspect to ecstasy in regards to transcendence as well. You're getting in the, but there's tears involved, you know, mm-hmm. there's some sort of, getting wrapped up into something and you uh 
and again, I'm not talking about nirvana at all because you've said something. You you must participate. You're not losing yourself in there. Mm-hmm. You are imminently there. It's just something you're experiencing something other. But can we just either add or subtract this notion that transcendence also could be like anger or some other emotion that is other or mm-hmm. sort of riotous, for instance. I mean, if we took some of these definitions of beyond comprehension or extending outside the limits of ordinary experience, I think that something like what happened during that musical event was certainly that. But I also am sort of suspicious about it, about that being, quote, transcendent. Yeah, that's a weird thing to think about. I I hadn't considered that idea. Um, I think that, like, I remember a situation uh, where I was at a movie, um, and it for it was a movie I uh, was was at uh, with with my wife, and we were we were so enthralled by this film, and it, it really was in terms of uh, film uh, was for me, uh, like a transcendent experience. It was the Tree of Life. It was when I went to go see the Tree of Life. And, uh, you mean where the Lion it, King? The Lion King. It was the it was the Lion King. It was the it was no the Tree of Life by Malik. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it was the Malik movie, and we we had talked about that requiem for a friend um, in a in a previous uh, podcast that is featured in that film. Um, and we got to the end, and I mean, I just was, I just was floored, and I couldn't, you know, and, and it was that same sense of like you're about to, just about to kind of lose it, you know, the whole time, and, um, but it, we were watching it at the the arts uh, cinema in Houston, and people at the end of the movie, other people were um, were yelling at. The movie screen. I've never experienced this. I've never experienced a, a yeah. thing where people were angry. Yeah. Um, yep. And pe- there were people swearing. There were people yelling insults at the at the um, screen. And I and I turned to Jennifer. I was like, "Were they at the same movie? Like, what is happening?" But I realized that there was something so um, powerful about. You know the imagery and and the the sweep of it, and it's a long, slow, difficult, you know, film. It's a, it's an experience to kind of go through this film, and you're, and there's probably three lines of dialogue in the whole movie, and it's and it's you know very, it's just a hard movie, and I realized like there for whatever reason, you know, some kind of nerve was touched that evoked in in these um, these other people just just anger just real palpable anger like like storm the um, you know the movie screen kind of anger they were mad at what had happened they were mad that they spent money on it they were mad that at everything they had seen and they and you know and they let everyone know and um, I, so I think it's possible that a reaction you know to that can be extreme resistance in the um, when we're talking about the uh, right of spring, though, like I, I, I don't know. Like I think you'd have to be there to know whether that was a transcendent experience. But I think that a call to rage, you know, um, while it might be outside of the ordinary experience, one has to 
wonder, like, what is the difference then between a transcendent experience and just any kind of over-emotionalism? Right. For, you know, like, right. quote-unquote, positive right. or negative. Um, because I can imagine uh, tears due to, you know, sentimentality and over-emotionalism mm-hmm. that would not be transcendent. It would be manipulation. Now, I think that, you know, uh, Stravinsky points to something transcendent in the Rite of Spring. And what he was pointing to was, you know, the fall of of empires and like the complete <laughs> obliteration of a of an entire way of thinking, you know, that would ha- that would happen after after World War One, because it was so horrible. Um, but that so that that is a transcendent uh, concept and thing. But the you know the the riot or rage that ensues, I I don't know. One would have to ask a person why why'd you do it? I guess in in that moment. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. I think another one that uh, that we don't have time to discuss today, but we're thinking about as an audience member and for myself too, and I definitely will, would be the difference between sen- uh, transcendence and sentimentality. That one to me, now as soon as you said it, I went, okay, that one is actually really worth thinking mm-hmm. about and slippery. Yeah. It's very yeah. slippery. Because the, one of the next stories I, I was thinking is maybe one of the more transcendent what happened in a not, I mean it wasn't in a cathedral or anywhere else it was in a um, I, it happened several times but with a particular piece uh, called Little Tree by Steve Heitzig it is my favorite piece I I think it is my favorite piece it is in my opinion perfect in in well, it manipulates me every time into having a, a, a beautiful experience with not only music, but the way he sets the text, how he um, repeats certain things that need to be repeated. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is the ending. Um, he ends on a single pitch with the, the piano sort of mimicking uh, Noel, Noel, that he keeps repeating over and over again. But the choir just sings one pitch. It's like the most simple perfection, and it's a hum. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a single pitch hum, and the minute that it starts, it it gives me the shivers, and it puts me right where I need to be in context of Christmas and in context to the feeling of family at Christmas and the feeling of a Christmas tree at Christmas and the fe- it's one pitch one mm-hmm. note on a hum and it was everything that comes before that but but you know I was going to tell that story about that I I just start bawling almost even as conductor or a singer mm-hmm. it's a, it's the same either way or as playing the piano it's a, it's all the same and to me that feels like transcendence but it's interesting to think what if it's just sentimentality that that's different than transcendence so we don't have time to talk about it but it's worth thinking about that those two things are separate they're both good but they're separate Mm -hmm. things and one might be more heavily influenced by context because a lot of people don't have that feeling that I do and mine is built upon many years of context you Mm -hmm. know and and also even thinking about myself as a composer thinking about that moment I mean that that helps me in that moment as well Mm -hmm. 
And maybe there's some mixing here, like a Venn diagram, that there could mm-hmm. be an event that's both sentimental and uh, uh, transcendent. But um, anyway, that's that's one. And I mean, how we've all had transcendent moments. And and I like what you said about your Chanticleer thing, which was, how do you know? How do you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's the point that I wanted to make. We don't. And I, I it, what's funny about this is that is it possible that our entire art form is built around a goal that we can never achieve, but we mm-hmm. achieve it all the time. We don't know the path to get to the mountain, but somehow we're transported to the mountain from time to time. And even when we're on the mountain, we don't we can see it and recognize it or feel it and recognize it mm-hmm. and yet we can't recognize it or we don't know how to define it we can't but i i think in from my perspective that we can manipulate events in such a way that allows us a better chance of being transported mm-hmm. and we can encourage one another to get rid of or eliminate certain aspects that reduce our chance, like I said, in our students being jaded. You know, that's mm-hmm. a huge one. It's a mm-hmm. huge resistance point. Or, oh, it's terrible, it's dumb, my day is dumb. You're, you're already, you know, you're, you've, you're disallowing it then. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, or, I don't want to be here. You know, of course, now you're not, there's no way you're going to, you know, you've, you just, you're resistant. You have Mm -hmm. created resistance to it. Anyway, let's counter this at the end by one story that's the least transformative ever (laughs) as a, as a, at the end here. Uh, what, is there a least transformative? Maybe I, just to show by opposition. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I I tell this story sometimes in like methods classes um, because I remember being. It was it was my first job, and and they would start the year with a pop show, and um, <laughs> so I was with a I was with a, a class, and I had to teach a song from a hundred and two Dalmatians. I remember this was you know, and I was teaching this song, and I don't remember if this was. This must have been within my first couple of years of teaching. And, uh, you know, I remember teaching it, and it was – first I would open the music and I would say, this isn't even from 101 Dalmatians. You know, it's from a sequel of a movie that's already not necessary. And – the the song was dig a dog this is the name of the song and this the tenors and basses have this little rhythm i'll never forget it because they they have to you know come in on one on dig a dig a dog dig a dig a dog dig a dig a dog dig a and this is like you know felt like 20 pages where they have to do this dig a dig a dog dig a dig a dog i can still do this and they just weren't lining up the rhythm and i remember um, going over and over and over it and then i and then i went home and i went to sleep and i had a, a dream i literally had a dream and it, the dream was it was it was like Mozart, and he came to me and he said, "You know, Herr Robbins, in in fifteen hundred years of music, <laughs> did is he this have a New best? York accent? You could, yeah, oi, <laughs> <laughs> Richard. <laughs> now, it, 
in in you know like 1500 years of printed music is this the best that you could have brought you know for these for these students at this moment dig a dog and then i woke up and i was like he's right he's right this was horrible so my reaction was like an actual i had a transcendent uh response from like the other the other world you know like from uh from mozart who came to heckle me because of this that is literally the i felt like it was the low point of my of everything it was just really dark (laughs) that was was mine it makes me think of that's the texas that's what you get in texas right there texas yeah that's it that's that's the machine that's the texas machine (laughs) yeah that was the all-state piece for that year so kind of no right that's the that was right uh that no, mine really quickly was singing. I th- one that came to mind when I thought about this was quickly mm-hmm. singing with a a very very good choir at the time and still is I think uh, Monium Corum mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. And I don't yeah. want to throw anybody under the bus, but I was singing with them and we were singing on a Sunday morning at a church. And many maybe people have had this happen before, but. You know, the conductor points to the person with the pitch pipe and they mm-hmm. blow the pitch. And then we start, mm-hmm. I mean, you start singing. And mm-hmm. I, the horrifying reality of like being given a really, really bad pitch, like that isn't even close to the right part. Oh, and everybody. That's pressure though. That, yeah. that, that like five second moment where everybody tries to get there and nobody knows how. Right. And the the ju- like everybody's jaw is a fear. It's the utter wow. fear from everyone as everybody goes, Oh <laughs> <laughs> It is the least when that kind of stuff happens, it is the mm-hmm. it's funny. But that sort of stuff. I mean right. you know when you know, maybe the ultimate uh opposite of transcendent is just stupidity you know not stupidity from the the pitch blower i mean just stupidity of the moment just the moment is just well yeah in in that moment it's impossible to point to any transcendent thing i mean it makes transcendence impossible because because there is an alignment you know in the transcendent moment this is where the question about sentimentality and, and transcendence is really interesting because I think one could have a, a sentimental reaction to, um, say, you mentioned Little Tree, and, and it's still transcendent because the, the things that evoke that are transcendent things, right? As, right. Whereas emotionalism, I think, has a, enough... Uh, we've used the word manipulation a couple of times, but it's the... Um, it's that false or that kind of uh, duplicitous manipulation that that makes it different. Any t- if I hear the I don't know why, but for, you know the ceremony of carols when I when I hear it, there are just some moments that every t- it doesn't matter every time I'm just a puddle, but it's because they like it makes me think of so much. You know, mm-hmm. the beauty of these voices and the kind of the innocent image of these children and and the the harp evoking this sort of medieval thing. I mean, there's just something about all of that 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 pulls me in every every time. Um, maybe that's sentimentality, but but I you know, I don't know. I think there's a there's a way still to always be moved by the end of the Resurrection Symphony by Mahler. And to have it, you know, for whatever it means in your 
in your life, it's it's an authentic expression of of transcendence. Don't know. Yeah, and that's a great way to end a topic of transcendence. Is I don't know. <laughs> it's just a beautiful <laughs> way to end it. I don't know. That's so I'm happy to end it on that. But I also know that this word will come up again and will probably always come up because it is a goal of both of ours in our art form is transcendence. And I hope it's a goal for you, listener out there, even though it's and maybe undefi- indefinable. Right. And, uh, and here's your starting pitch. <laughs> okay, we have achieved transcendence on this. I know people people out there just got the shivers. Their hair stood on they end. They did. Enjoy. No, they, They're they starting to weep. Tears. They're weeping tears. actually that we're keeping on going. That's what we're doing. So let's <laughs> let's say au revoir, au revoir, ciao, au revoir, au revoir. Have a good one. Au revoir. At the end here, speaking of sentimentality and transcendence, I want to bring somebody in that um, I'm quite fond of, uh, very, very fond of, and that's Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis. Um, he wrote, I'm going to read a short expert, excerpt from The Weight of Glory. Um, And this might get your brain churning as it does mine in in regards to this particular topic. Um, And it sort of hints to what I was talking about in the episode about the veil between transcendence and our normal reality and, and to its accessibility. But it also does point to the difference between sentimentality and transcendence, and those things might be similar or not. And it's just sort of something, sort of a net or a matrix to unravel. Here's what he says in The Weight of Glory. In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence, the secret also which pierces with with such sweetness that when, in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent, We grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if it had settled the matter. 
Wordsworth's expedient was to identify it with certain moments in his own past, but all this was a cheat. If Wordsworth had gone back to those moments in the past, he would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What he remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they will turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. When I think about this, I think about what he said about Wordsworth and the remembrance from early childhood, essentially that famous poem. And I, I love the idea that if, if he were to have gone back, he, would, he wouldn't actually experience it. It would be a remembering. And that's funny because I think often about that music sometimes brings us to that place of remembering remembering our childhood or remembering good times or sometimes remembering bad times but that's the thing that and the the thing that we must think about a little bit is that moment of remembering in and of itself is only a remembering that the music is a vehicle that something else is coming through the music rather than it being the music itself and what C.S. Lewis here calls it is longing. And he also equates that longing with the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life. But I, it's just interesting to think about that difference and the difference between sentimentality and transcendence and if those things cross paths. And it's just, I want you to think about that as you go through your year and as you experience art and experience potential transcendent moments in your rehearsals and performances or if you go to an art museum or or if you you know even go to a sports event and see the beauty that's happening there they are not the thing itself they are only the scent of a flower we not we have not found the echo of a tune we have not heard, and news from a country we have never visited.